0: So today we're going to talk about what's the best PA program or what PA program should you apply to. Naturally, there are a lot of factors that go into picking a PA program, but we just want to cover some of the few things that might help you in terms of which ones are going to be a good fit for you. First off, when it comes to looking at the class averages, a lot of students look at a a program and see what the average student in the current class has They use that as a gauge to determine whether or not uh, they might be a good applicant. But actually, to be honest, you should just ignore that information. Uh, These are just statistics, so it really doesn't play uh, a big factor into whether or not you'd get in. And certainly, these are just averages. So being that it's an average, you should know there are people who have more hours or less hours, better GPAs and less GPAs. Of uh, This current cycle that I've been working on, or the twenty-one twenty-two cycle, out of all of the applicants I worked with and who were successful at getting into a PA program, I did have a few that had 4.0s, but I also had a couple of students that were accepted, one with a 2.79 and another with a 2.88. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that's what you should be striving for or, or accept, but Again, when you look at a class average, it's not always the best determining factor when looking at which programs are better fit for you. So, we always tell the students that we work with just to ignore that information. Another thing a lot of students we find when we talk to them, they look at our pants pass rates. So, the pants is the certification examination you'll take after you complete PA school, so that you have the C after your. Title PA, but with respect to the pants pass rate, again, this is not something that you should use in order to determine whether this is a program you want to apply to or not. Yeah, you know, we frequently hear from students, "Well, I want to apply to this program because they have a very high pants pass rate." I'll look through their their transcripts and maybe find a class where they had a C or a B, maybe like O Chemistry, where a lot of students have C's, and I often ask, "Is?" Was there anyone in the class that, that did get a B or even an A in that course? And, of course, they always say yes. And then it's just a matter of, well, then it wasn't the class. It was you. So if a program has maybe not a PANS pass rate that you think is acceptable, it's not the program. It's the student. So don't use the PANS pass rate as a factor to determine whether or not you should apply to a program. Other things to look at or other factors that I know applicants often use as a gauge to whether or not they should are a program status. So some of the different statuses would include developing program, provisional accreditation, and probationary status. So let's talk about developing programs. These are new programs, but don't let that word new uh, confuse you or sway your decision. First of all, we're teaching medicine, so there's nothing new about medicine. And when it comes to the faculty, generally speaking, much of the faculty at a uh, program that has provisional status, they often come from other programs. A lot of times these are PAs who were on faculty, but maybe just a professor, adjunct professor, and they want to make a move, and now they'd like to be the director of the program. So Usually, when you're seeing a program that has provisional status, again, uh, they're not necessarily new in terms of faculty. In fact, probably the only thing really new about the programs are going to be the desk and chairs. Another thing to consider when you're looking at programs that are new or have provisional status, uh, understand that it takes anywhere from about three to five years to get to the point where a program is actually accepting applications. These are never programs that just started maybe, it wasn't an idea that came up about six months ago at a you know, coffee session where people were just chatting and thinking, hey, let's start a PA program. It takes a lot of money and it takes a lot of time. In fact, if you did a Google search and looked for UCSD PA program, uh, add in $7 million, you'll come across an article, I believe it's dated September of 2020, where a couple actually donated $7 million to start a PA program at University of California, San Diego. So uh, that was two years ago, and that school hasn't even gotten to the point of uh, the provisional or uh, developing program status where they can even start interviewing students or taking applications. So this is something that takes a long time. The point I'm trying to make is the amount of money that's invested and again, that was a private donor. This was a couple, literally donated $7 million. You can find these articles online. The amount of money that goes in as well as the time invested to prepare a program, by the time they get to the point where they can start accepting applications and start interviewing students for the first cohort, uh, it's been years. So you should know that this is not something that's just going to fall apart at the last minute if they've gotten to that point. So if they're accepting applications, if they're, uh, whether they're on CASPA or not, it's always a good idea to apply to these programs. One, there will be other people who are going to pass because they're a little nervous when they read provisional status. So right away, you probably have a smaller or the competition is significantly less. So don't let um, developing program deter you from applying to a program. The next would be provisional accreditation. Think of this as somebody who just got a new job and they've been put on probation for the next three months until uh, just approve themselves before the company gives them full hiring, gives them all the benefits. So when a program has been granted provisional status, so they've now passed that developing program status. They've probably already gone through a cycle where they've accepted applicants, but they're probably still in their first, second, maybe even third year of admitting students. It's just a matter of a program crossing the T's, dotting the I's, documenting everything, showing that they can run a program, even graduate a class. Then they'll be given full accreditation status. But no program starts off with full accreditation. So if you read provisional, don't think that there's something wrong with the program. But again, there will be many candidates who will pass on programs like that, thinking they don't want to apply because they think the school is too new, or they're just concerned about that that word provisional, as possibly the school may lose their accreditation even if it is provisional. Know this: that any school that does start a class, regardless of what happens to their accreditation status, that class will graduate they will be able to sit for the pants, they'll be certified, and if for some unbelievable reason a a school actually did lose an accreditation and then closed their doors, those PAs would still go on to practice. So once you've been seated in a class, you will end up taking the board, provided that you do graduate, of course, but you still will be able to take the boards regardless of whatever status happens to that program. So if you read that a school has provisional status, Don't let it deter you. As I said before, there will probably be fewer candidates applying, so you have less competition in programs that have provisional status. Last, we'll talk about probationary status, which is something you might find quite a bit of these days, and for the most part, it really has a lot to do with the pandemic. The accreditation board stipulates the number of clinical rotation sites that each program must have for their students. And I'm just going to use an arbitrary number like 100. So for any program, they, let's just say they have to have 100 sites for clinical rotations for their students. But because of the pandemic, a lot of clinics have said, we can no longer take your students, as well as a lot of the hospitals. We, they'll say that they can't take the students for the inpatient clinical rotations. And if my minimum number is 100, but because I've lost a lot of clinical rotation sites, now I'm below that number. Let's say I'm down to 85. I'm automatically going to go into probationary status. However, this is really nothing different than driving your car around and you have the little light telling you that you're on, you know, you're close to empty in terms of gas. It's not that you're gonna it's not that the car is gonna stop automatically. You still got a little bit of time before you can get to a station and fill up. So As long as we return to the minimum threshold, and again, I picked an arbitrary number of 100, we'll go back to a a normal accreditation status and get off probation. And clearly with the numbers in terms of COVID continuing to decline, we all expect that most clinical sites that we had previously are going to open back up. Hospitals will start accepting students back in for rotation. So that should, you'll see a lot of that, I think, clear up this cycle as well as the following cycle. But sometimes it's just something simply administrative when a school is on probation. I'll give you an example. There is a program out there, won't say who, but there is a program that they don't have their their pants pass rate listed on their website. And that is one of the reasons why they're on probation. And I know it may sound kind of ridiculous, but this is how Small. Some of the reasons can be, but it's not that the schools are providing inadequate education, or students aren't. You know, high rates of students aren't passing the pants. It isn't because of that. So, whether it is a developing program, somebody, or a program that has provisional status, or they're in a probationary status, don't let these deter you from picking a school. Uh, Odds are that there will be fewer applicants because there will be people who will use that to. Uh, change their decision about applying to a program. But don't let that deter you. The GRE is another factor to consider, of course, when applying to a program. And I'll just say that more and more programs are beginning to drop this from their requirements. Now, a lot of it did have to do with COVID. So we'll see if this holds as uh, COVID seems to die down. If, if, if in fact, it does more or less uh, go away from our well, it's not going to go away, but let's see if it gets to the point where you know life has returned to mostly normal. So for now, many of the programs are not requiring the GRE, and it used to be if a program didn't require the GRE, but a candidate did have the GRE, sometimes we would use that to, to make a decision between a couple of students in terms of which ones we were going to pick either for an interview or even selecting to be accepted. But over the past couple years, more and more schools are just not even acknowledging the GRE. So if you do have it and the school doesn't require it, they are not going to even look at your score. Now, there are a lot of students who just simply don't want to take the GRE. And honestly, it really is not a good indicator of who would do well in a PA program. We've worked with many students who have 3.8s, 3.9s, but they just didn't do well in the GRE. And clearly, they were great students. And honestly, there isn't much on the GRE, if anything, that's applicable to what you'll be doing as a PA. Of course, grammar, your communication skills are good. But um, it's interestingly enough, the the quantitative part of the GRE, there's very little math that you're going to ever do as a PA. Um, certainly, these days, even less Uh, than when I went to school in terms of trying to calculate out a dosage for medication. But that all being said, it's becoming less and less, uh, or I should say there are fewer and fewer programs that are using this as an indicator of who they should interview and or pick for their programs. So if you've decided you're just not going to take it, there are lots of programs that do not require the GRE. As I said earlier, they're going to be, it seems to be a trend where we expect more and more to eliminate this from their prerequisites. During this current cycle, uh, 2021-22, of the, right now I think uh, there were 193 students that I worked with that have been accepted, and of those students, at least half of them did not have the GRE. So I don't know an exact number of the number of schools that do not require the GRE. It's it's hard to tell because it, it it changes quite a bit. And certainly with the next cycle coming up, we expect to see more changes. We're all hoping that at some point they'll just eliminate it. But for now, just know that if it's not required, they they're not even going to look at your score if you do have it. On the other hand, if you do have the GRE or if you have taken it, um, the score you're you're trying to aim for is around a 300. I will say that this last cycle, many of the schools that were still using the GRE, they're looking for a quantitative number that's in the around the 50th percentile, which is probably about a 152, 153. So if you're over 300 and you're if you're over 300 with a total GRE score and your quantitative is at or above the 50th percentile, you have a good GRE score. Just know that it's not, um, it isn't a factor of getting a higher score that makes you a better candidate, by the way. Once you meet that threshold of over 300, hopefully you've hit the 50th percentile in the quantitative number. That's really all that you're going to need. So don't worry about if, If you're not in the, if you're not 310, 318, don't go back and try to take the GRE thinking, you know, let me get a higher score. There are better things you can do to spend your time, such as volunteering, shadowing, of course, your patient care hours, maybe even taking an additional science class. But the GRE is not a big factor when it comes to deciding who's going to be picked for an interview or even admitted into the program. Other factors that come into play with respect to selecting a school, of course, have to do with geographics. Right off the bat, you should be looking at programs that are in your state or at least nearby. It isn't to say that you can't apply to programs in other states or even if they're far away. However, your best chances are going to be from the programs nearest you or in your state, providing, of course, you do meet the prerequisites. You probably have heard things such as healthcare disparities, uh, lack of access to healthcare, and other phrases such as this. But when you think of that, bear in mind that when a PA program is training a student or teaching a student, we're we're trying to ideally we'd like that student to practice in our state because everywhere we're all dealing with shortages in healthcare. So if you're from Florida, but you'd rather go to school in California. I'm not saying that you can't. You can certainly apply to schools in California. But a lot of schools are going to look at it as like, well, if you're from Florida, you're probably not going to stay here in California. You're probably going to go right back to Florida. And it certainly isn't just Florida, California thing. It goes all across the country. There are certain schools that if you're not from the area, you have a very slim chance of getting into those programs. For example, Nevada. If you're coming from the East Coast and you want to apply to the schools in Nevada, there's a very low chance, unless you have a very solid relationship with Nevada, you have family there or you grew up there. But I'm just using that as one example. Again, I'm not trying to tell you that you can't apply to programs that are not in your state or nearby. But there are a lot of factors schools take into account. Now, if you're working with us, if you decide to work with our group, we will, of course, help you pick out the right schools for you. And that comes from just knowing more about you, your background, your grades, the work that you've done, the hours. There's a lot of factors that go into picking a school. Just know that it is not one thing when it comes to a program picking an applicant for an interview. I often hear from a student saying, well, I want to apply to this program because they take a more holistic approach towards the student. I just want you to know that we they all do. All of the programs take a holistic approach. They just may not have said it on their website. So don't take everything that's on a website as gospel or something that's not on a website as an indication that this is not a focus of a PA program. Every program looks at every aspect of the student, whether it's your letters of recommendation, again, your volunteer hours, your shadowing, number of hours in patient care that you have, what type of patient care hours you have, and more. So um, just know they're all looking at you from all aspects in your application. It's not just one thing about the application. So let's bring up uh, prerequisites. Unfortunately, every year we see a number of applications that just don't meet the prerequisites. So, I, I often hear from students that how how badly they want to become a PA, and despite any shortcomings, whether it's their GPA or it's the lack of hours or a certain course that they don't have or they don't have volunteer, they don't have shadow, and more. You know, all the things. People always tell me why they didn't have something, but they believe the school will overlook it. And I, I, I hope people understand that it just is not the case. You need to know that every PA program is receiving thousands of applications per cycle. Uh, some schools over 4,000, and this is usually for about 40 or 50 seats. So they don't have to overlook anything. It's very easy for them to find the people who meet all the requirements. Yet people will, and you know, I, I don't want anybody to get upset about this because often I, you know, people get very angry about. Well, I want this so bad is what I hear. I really want to be a PA, and I understand that. But the schools are looking for people that are the best candidates, and part of that is just your record loan. So, bottom line is, you do need to meet the prerequisites. That all being said. If it's a matter of your GPA, you might want to try contacting the programs Um, the last few cycles or last several cycles. A number of programs are looking at students, uh, when it comes to their academics, looking at the last 60 units. Some schools actually have this posted right on their website. Some schools, you can even uh, fill out a waiver form for this. Some schools, they don't have it on their website, but contact them anyways, go to an information session, contact the school and see if they will consider. And there are a lot of factors that will go into why they'll consider the last 60 versus your overall GPA. So if that's you and you find yourself where you're sub 3.0, maybe you've got a 2.85, but if you looked at the last 60, you actually have a 3.5 or something around that range, Contact the schools and see if they will uh, consider it on a case-by-case basis. It does happen. As I said, I did have two students, uh, one with a 2.79, another with a 2.88. That Actually, those were the ones who were accepted. I did have some with a 2.64, and she did get an interview, but unfortunately she just didn't do well during her interview. But she did get the interview. Mostly, if you do not meet the prerequisites, and you're just hoping that they're going to overlook it because you have what you feel is something else in your application that makes you a great candidate and they'll just ignore other factors. That's, generally speaking, not going to happen. Other factors to make sure that you are doing are your shadowing and volunteering. For this past year or so, I've heard from a lot of students telling me reasons why they just could not do it, whether it was the because of covid places we're not allowing PAs to shadow. But if you're not aware, there's plenty of virtual shadowing available. If you just go online, you'll you'll find it. There's plenty of virtual shadowing and the schools do accept this. I expect this will be a trend going forward. I don't think any of the schools are going to drop, uh, virtual, uh, drop accepting virtual shadowing, even if COVID completely clears up. I think this will always be something they'll accept but you have to have shadowing. You just have to. Volunteering, again, we know there are limitations to this because of COVID, but there were actually several shadowing opportunities that were created because of COVID. For example, if you had contacted your local county health department and asked a volunteer to do COVID testing or COVID screening, this was probably the number one source of volunteer hours for at least all of our applicants last cycle or this current cycle. So, but there are many, just redcross.org. If you put in your zip code, you'll find plenty of shadowing opportunities, all right, plenty of volunteering opportunities. But if you're just going to say, well, I couldn't get any, or I've had some, but it was three years ago, this is not going to make you competitive. You need to have current shadowing, you have current volunteer hours. And whenever people tell me the reasons why they can't, all I can come back to you and say is, but there are applicants who did. So You'll have to find the way to make it happen. When it comes to choosing PA programs, we often find many students who've applied to far more than they actually should. So just it's not Vegas, okay? So this is not an odds game. You're not, you do not stand a better chance by applying to more programs. In fact, one of my students that I worked with this cycle, she was accepted into two programs. When we started working with her earlier in the year, we had come up with a list of six programs for her to apply to, which she did, and she was accepted into two of those programs. But later, she actually told me that she applied to more than 20 programs, and she did say that she didn't really believe when I told her she only needed to apply to six. Uh, But the fact was, the two programs she was accepted to came from the list of six that we we helped her create, and she never actually even heard from any of the other ones that she did apply to. You either have a strong application or you don't. So it's not going to be a factor of well, I didn't apply to enough. Maybe if I applied to ten more, or five more programs, I would have gotten in. It's not that way. You just again, you either have a good application. Which remember, you know, it is a lot of factors. So it's the GPA. It's your patient care experience hours, your shadowing, your volunteer, uh, if they require the GRE, it's uh, CASPER test, if it's required, uh, it's and of course, your personal statement. So it isn't just a number. It's not, I need to apply to 10, 15, 20 programs. And we hear some outrageous numbers, more than 30. And unfortunately, sometimes these people don't even get a single interview and they left wondering why, it's just not having a strong application. Now, on the other hand, we do have students who have amazing applications. We have a student recently we we're talking to, uh, she has a GPA of 3.75. She had over 15,000 hours as an EMT. She actually had all the right letters of recommendation. She had shadowing volunteers. She had everything. Didn't even get one single interview during this current cycle. And it was simply because of her personal statement. Remember, you got to have a strong application just to get the interview. It's It's not a question of how many programs you apply to. I hope some of this helps when it comes to deciding which programs you're going to be applying to. But certainly, if you'd like some extra help, contact us here at PA Mentor. You can always sign up for the free consultation where we can set up a meeting between you and one of our physician assistant mentors we'll talk to you about our services and what we can do to make sure that you're a competitive candidate. Or just go to our website at uh, Online, onlinecom and you can read about our services and how to sign up for them. So I uh, hope this was helpful, and don't forget to subscribe so you'll catch up with our other podcasts. I'm not sure what we're going to do next week, so Uh, Maybe during the week we'll put a post up on Instagram, but if you have suggestions about things you would like to hear, just drop us a note on Instagram or Facebook or, I don't know, wherever else you find us, and we'll, we'll try to include that as one of our topics in a future podcast. Again, thank you for listening.